Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. This is our last regular edition of the podcast for the year, but as we've mentioned a couple of times, starting tomorrow, Christmas Eve, still brand new editions of the Three Martini Lunch podcast, but they're special editions tomorrow and then all of next week, all five days uh, of the work week next week, uh, leading up to New Year's Eve, we'll have our year-end awards. Tomorrow we'll have most overrated, underrated, and honest political figures. Then on uh, Monday we'll talk about things like rising stars, and people fading to oblivion, best ideas, worst ideas, uh, political theater, and eventually at the end of next week, we'll get to our person of the year, turncoat of the year, and our predictions for 2022. So, uh, Jim, a lot has happened in 2021. We'll talk about it all here in these special editions, but today is our last day to tackle uh, the day-to-day issues, and our good martini today is, uh, once again, a hat tip to Cocaine Mitch. Given the fact that the Democrats have now tried to nuke Joe Manchin instead of win him back over the past couple of days, uh, Mitch went on to a Hugh Hewitt show. Uh, and Hugh, right after asking Mitch how things were going in Kentucky after the tornadoes, gets into this and says, hey, have you reached out to Joe Manchin maybe about switching parties a la Jim Jeffords going the other way to the Democrats uh, early in the Bush administration back in 2001? Here's what he said. Have you spoken with him or written to him about whether or not he might want to cross the aisle like Winston Churchill and Jim Jeffords did? Well, uh, you know, as I've said the last couple of days, I've had this conversation with him off and on for uh, a couple of years. Uh, we come from states that have a lot in common that have become increasingly red over the last uh, decade or so. And I think what Manchin is discovering is that there just aren't any Democrats left in the Senate that are uh, pro-life and terribly concerned about the debt and deficit and and inflation. So he he feels like a man alone. Uh, If he were to join us, he'd be joining a lot of... uh, folks who have similar views on a whole range of issues. Well, first of all, Jim, that's the first time I've ever heard Jim Jeffords and Winston Churchill mentioned in the same uh, breath in terms of party switching. But uh, I love the fact that Mitch has started this conversation. I know John Cornyn texted Joe Manchin, although he told the media about it. If they don't want you, we do. I don't think Joe Manchin's going to do it. But man, uh, given how the Democrats are... uh, are treating him these days, if he were to do it, that would solve a lot of problems in 2022. Indeed it would. And I think, you know, this is striking when the iron is hot. You figure Manchin's frustration with his fellow Democrats has to be at the highest it's ever been. Not just because he's, you know, come out and said, i sorry, I can't vote for Build Back Better. It just, you know, isn't, uh, I've laid out my demand, uh, my requirements. They have not met them. They've made all kinds of, you know, silly financial gimmicks to insist that it won't increase the deficit. And they aren't taking my my viewpoint seriously, so I'm just not going to do it. And the response, as we've talked about in previous episodes of this podcast, is that they've just denounced him even more furiously. There's this, you know, um, I think the thing that probably is going to stick with him the most. I I don't, again, I'd be surprised if Joe Manchin actually changed parties. But you figure he's got to be closer to it than ever before. He did have, David Korn had that scoop, which was kind of a, 
uh, an exaggerated version. Reportedly, Manchin had said to other members, said to Schumer, if the day comes when I'm an embarrassment to the caucus, I'll leave and become an independent or something like that, indicating that he didn't want to. He would leave the party, basically, if that would make life easier for all the other Democrats. Obviously, it wouldn't, because the moment he leaves the party, uh, if he did choose to caucus with the Republicans, then Mitch McConnell becomes uh, Senate Majority Leader. And that would pretty much slam the brakes on anything Democrats want to do. And Joe Manchin is a Democrat or at least he is a Democrat as of this recording, but on both, you know, not just, you know, issues of life, issues of guns, on these giant spending issues, the deficit. He, look, it's not just that they disagree. I think the increasing tone is that many, many Democrats hold Joe Manchin in contempt. They, they really, they just can't stand the guy. They really don't think he's been reasonable. Now, one of the great ironies is they keep saying he's changing what his, you know, requirements are. He laid it out early in the fall, and he's always been very clear about who he is, what his values are, and what he sees as reasonable. And I think if there's anything that might be the tipping point, if we see Joe Manchin change parties, and I don't think he's going to do it, but if he does, you got to wonder how much Biden's comment earlier this week in which he said, you know, you may not have seen, but uh, Joe Manchin said to the House progressives, the progressive caucus, Joe Biden didn't mislead you, I misled you. Now, apparently that anecdote entirely is out of Joe Biden's imagination, or he's <laughs> wildly misconstruing some anecdote he was told or heard or something like that. But basically, you know, he's Biden is now going in front of the country and saying, oh, Joe Manchin lied to you. You know, he lied to everybody. Joe Manchin did not lie to everybody. And oh, by the way, later on, Jen Psaki is like, well, the president did not mean to suggest that Manchin had misled people. <laughs> Never mind. That's exactly what he said. Um you know, grandpa gets confused sometimes. And Joe Manchin, and so if anything, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry, party, I cannot agree with you. I cannot support this legislation. When the leader of your party goes out and starts lying about what you said, that might really stick in his craw. One of the great ironies about Manchin is that he's very, um, very much a believer in the, the kind of the traditions of the Senate. And if he's, he has, you know, Bird's old seat. He believes in trying to get along with everybody. And he had this, uh, you know, like three hour dinner with uh, Payapal, the, the, the leader of the House Progressive Caucus. And he said, look, we don't agree on everything, but I really enjoyed sitting down with her. And I understand where she's coming from better. He's very much this guy who wants to get along with everybody collegially, at least on a personal level, even if he doesn't agree on policy and have all of this, you know, scorn and all of this bile thrown his way. You gotta figure he might be thinking about it. I think this sales pitch from Mitch McConnell and other Republicans makes a lot of sense. It would work a lot, you know. Like you can understand why it might not have made sense earlier in the year, but at this point, the relationship between Manchin and the other Democrats, it's not clear if it's salvageable. And maybe he'd be happier as a Republican. I don't know. And the other thing is that if Republicans take control of the Senate after the 2022 midterms, well, then they won't need him. And whatever they're willing to offer him to as an incentive to switch parties, i.e. party, you know, committee chairmanships, stuff like that, uh, you know, we don't have to do that anymore. So, you know, I, if Joe Manchin chooses not to switch, you can understand, you can respect that. I was elected as a Democrat. I'm going to stay as a Democrat. But if he does want to change, he probably ought to do it sooner rather than later. Well, and since you mentioned that, Jim, Hugh Hewitt did ask Mitch, you know, has Manchin being allowed to stay on as a committee chairman been part of the negotiations here? And all Mitch would say is, well, that's been discussed. Uh, <laughs> By the way, listeners, let's give Greg some credit for a really good Mitch McConnell impression. 
Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, we're just about uh, done with 2021, 2022, just around the corner. But, you know, we don't know exactly where the economy is headed, especially with inflation where it's at right now. This administration not exactly instilling us with a ton of confidence. So you want to diversify that portfolio could mean silver and gold. And right now, Universal Coin and Bullion offering a one ounce pure silver tribute coin featuring America's 45th president, Donald J. Trump, at their cost. Greg, you think about it. What other financial asset do people sing about at this time of year? <laughs> silver and gold, silver and gold. Well, you can get a pure one ounce silver coin featuring former President Trump at the same price that Universal Coin buys it from their vendors. Throughout history, silver and gold have been a hedge against inflation and a guaranteed asset that you can turn to when times are uncertain. And with this president in office, uncertainty doesn't seem like it's going anywhere for a while. No. Diversify your portfolio and add a pure silver Trump coin to your investments now, and the postage is free. Call the fantastic folks over at Universal Coin at 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. Their professional staff, led by America's gold expert, Dr. Mike Fulgens, are waiting for you to call. They'll walk you through the whole thing and what it means to start your investment in silver and gold today. 800-UCB-GOLD to get your pure silver President Trump tribute coin at dealer's cost as well. All right, Jim, let's uh, talk more about the makeup of the Senate. Um, There's some NRSC polls out, National Republican Senatorial Committee polls, suggesting that Nevada might be on the table. But uh, another intriguing option here is Maryland, which you would think uh, Republicans winning a Senate seat in Maryland. Uh, What are you guys smoking? Well, it would be a long shot, I think. Uh, But Larry Hogan, a very popular two-term uh, moderate Republican governor is term limited, so he can't run for re-election in 2022. Chris Van Hollen, a very liberal Democrat, is up for re-election in 2022 next year. And so Republicans are trying to uh, recruit Larry Hogan to get in the race. And by all means, Jim, I think Larry Hogan would be by far the most competitive Republican in this scenario. I just think that uh, a statewide race versus who might control the Senate is not going to be quite the same uh, issue in the minds of Maryland voters, although I would love to see it happen. But I think uh, Hogan uh, may entertain this more seriously, and it looks like he is from the story I'm seeing in CNN, because right now the presidential race, which I think he also has some interest in in 2024, seems to be a waiting game on Donald Trump. And if he's in, not too many other people will probably take the time to do it. So uh, what do you make of uh, a potential Larry Hogan Senate bid? I'm reasonably uh, intrigued by it, I guess you should say. By the way, the one poll you didn't mention, Greg, is that uh, NRSC polling has Herschel Walker up one in Georgia. Obviously, it's not a slam dunk. I think Georgia really is turning to be more of a purple state than we're used to it being. But look, if there's anything a whole bunch of people have learned over the years, particularly defenders, once Herschel Herschel Walker starts running, he's really hard to stop. Uh, the so uh, regarding Larry Hogan though, look, my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, there probably have been some time that you like Larry Hogan. There probably have been some times you've been annoyed by Larry Hogan. Um, I think his record as governor, I described him as a as a good hockey goalie. He stops bad ideas from becoming law in a heavily democratic state legislature. He's just blocking them, knocking them away, all kinds of bad proposals, vetoing them left and right. Uh, making pretty good appointments to the Maryland state governor, at least by the standards of the Maryland state government. He's not a guy who's gotten a lot of conservative ideas enacted. And I'm sure that's pretty frustrating. But, you know, again, look at what he's got to work with in terms of the state legislature and just look at the overall deep blue nature of the state that he's governor of. Um, He seems pretty smart, pretty thoughtful to me. And I think the fact that he's managed to win and I win back surprisingly handily. 
uh, two statewide races indicates that if he runs for Senate, suddenly this becomes a much more competitive race. I don't know if you'd say he's favored against uh, uh, the incumbent, uh, Chris Van Hollen. But I do think that instantly this turns into a race that Democrats have to worry about. It turns into a race they have to spend money on. And that all of a sudden makes it tougher for them to be competitive everywhere else. And particularly when you got what looks like it's going to be a good wave year for Republicans. You want to have as many competitive races as possible. And if you're Larry Hogan, you're hoping to catch that wave um, and end up, you know, who knows, end up being in the U.S. Senate. By the way, if he's elected to the U.S. Senate, there's no law that says he can't run for the presidency at the same time. I don't think Larry Hogan is going to be the 2024 Republican presidential nominee. I think it's kind of a pipe dream. I think he'd be one of those, you know, Mark Sanford-esque one to two percent type scenarios. But who knows? You know what? He's got a better record and he is, you know, probably uh, uh, more thoughtful and much more of a policy wonk than some of those other guys. So if he wants to go for it, fine. But I think running for Senate... Uh, would be great. And even if you're looking at it saying, ah, you know, Larry Hogan, he didn't do this. Look, Larry Hogan, you know what the vote he's going to do? The first vote he's going to take once he's in the Senate, he's going to vote to make Mitch McConnell the majority leader. And if he does that, he's not voting to make Chuck Schumer the uh, majority leader, which is what Chris Van Hollen is going to do. You know, Senator Larry Hogan is going to vote the way you want some of the time. Chris Van Hollen is going to vote the way you want almost none of the time. This would be a huge step for Republicans. I think it kind of might even be kind of the consolation prize for not getting Sununu to run up in New Hampshire. So I, I think if it comes to pass, fantastic. This, this is a, would be a feather in the cap for the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Either the Democrats have to spend a bunch of money to win a state that they thought was a slam dunk, or you know, Maryland elects a Republican senator, which I don't think anybody foresaw as a likely scenario. So, you know, it's a win-win for Republicans. We'll see if it shakes out this way. Yeah. If he gets in, expect uh, him to get the Brian Kemp treatment from the former president. Uh, He's been very vocal about how he did not care for President Trump. So I assume President Trump will uh, uh, happily return the favor uh, in the primary, trying to make things uncomfortable for him, and maybe even in the general election, if any of this happens. But uh, intriguing to watch. And and like you said, even if it doesn't ultimately uh, end up with a, a Senator Hogan, if the Democrats have to spend a a ton of money there uh, could help in other races around the country as well. So uh, meanwhile, what else can help to keep your health strong and to keep your blood pressure in particular under control? Uh, super beats. Look, as we age, the fatigue and the lack of endurance we feel can't always be fixed with more and more caffeine. Uh, Jim, I know you know nothing about uh, trying to patch things up with more and more caffeine, but uh, Super Beets is uh, a great way to do it. They actually taste uh, really, really good. They don't actually taste like beets, and uh, they really do help, uh, especially keeping your blood pressure where it needs to be. Greg, every now and then we get an advertiser for this program who seems to have picked us deliberately. I don't know about you, but on my copy of the ad, it says, as we age, the fatigue and lack of endurance we feel can always be fixed with more and more caffeine, Jim. <laughs> they didn't say Greg. There's a gym. <laughs> Introducing a new way to start your day. Super Beats Heart Chews, because they're a tasty treat that will give you the energy you need, and they're good for you. There's no more need for afternoon coffees or energy drinks or candy for a quick pick-me-up. You just add two delicious plant-based Super Beats Heart Chews to your morning routine, and it will promote heart-healthy energy for your day, and you won't experience a caffeine crash. You can rest assured because Superbeats Heart Chew's unique clinically researched grape seed extract promotes heart healthy energy and normal blood pressure as part of a healthy lifestyle. Superbeats are super easy. They're simple heart chews, they taste great. And once you've tried them, I'm pretty confident you're going to choose Super Beat Heart Chews for heart healthy energy. Join over 1 million customers, get free shipping and returns, also a 90 day money back guarantee. 
And right now you can get a free 30-day supply with your first purchase at superbeats.com slash martini. Again, superbeats.com slash martini. All right, Jim, as we wrap up our uh, final regular episode of the year, and again, make sure you listen to those special year-end editions. I think you're going to enjoy our selections for those various awards. Uh, one of the things we talk about in the end-of-the-year awards and at many different times throughout the year is the responsibility or often lack of responsibility of the mainstream media. And Christmas time reminds us of one of the most egregious examples of that. It was actually on Christmas Eve, 19... 19- 88 in Los Angeles. It was in the evening. It was a quiet Christmas Eve. And all of a sudden, the police scanner uh, that's heard at uh, one of the local TV stations there hears about a uh, police officer getting shot up as he's checking out a potential call at Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, The reporter there, Richard Thornburg, demands uh, a a, a truck, uh, insults his colleagues who are ready to go on the air with the evening news. It's just a disgusting display of arrogance. He gets to the scene. Uh, sensationalizes the whole thing. Uh, And then as he listens in on the CB traffic, um, you know, between uh, the terrorists who have seized Nakatomi Plaza and the one person in the building who's actually in a position to hopefully stop them, he decides to uh, expose who this person who is potentially in position to save dozens of lives is jeopardizing the entire uh, effort to stop the terrorists uh, from inside the building. So Richard Thornburg is this guy's name. He uh, tracks down the family, the small, small children uh, of this couple that's trapped up on the 30th floor and, and, and beyond uh, and uh, threatens the housekeeper with calling INS if she doesn't let him uh, interview the kids. It's one of the most disgusting, disgraceful, unethical episodes in, in media history. It's a tragedy that played out on, on Christmas Eve, but I think Richard Thornburg, especially this time of year, is a great example of what not to do when you're in the media. Greg, you and I have talked about the need for immigration uh, law enforcement in this country on this podcast many times, but I think we would all agree that Paulina, uh, the, the babysitter, the nanny, the housekeeper in the, uh, the Gennaro household. Was it the Gennaro household or the McLean household? Oh, they answered the phone, McLean residence. That's uh, right. That's yeah. right. So there's some dispute about which uh, surname is appropriate. But nonetheless, <laughs> look, we all believe Paulina is just doing her job taking care of the children. And if, you know, it, it, our immigration laws should not be, our, you know, applied willy nilly depending on whether she's willing to cooperate with a particular reporter for KFLW. Uh, the great, I think what really eats at me though, Greg, is that not just, you know, look, we've, we've seen this example and some would say the on-air exchange with uh, Holly, was it Gennaro or was it McLean? It was Holly McLean, that's right. Um, you know, it was, oh, well, he got his just desserts. I don't think so. It was just two years later, right around Christmas again, when uh, the same reporter, Richard Thornburg managed to uh, kind of let let out about a, a hijacking and about a uh, terrorist threat at Dulles Airport. If former Senator Fred Thompson hadn't been there, I don't think the scenario would have turned out as the, the night would have turned out as, be- as well as it could. Funny little trivia: having prepared for this segment, I did research. People don't know that. People remember, you know, those two incidents. They don't realize. Do you know he was a twin, Greg? Hmm. He, in fact, he um, I, he was apparently they didn't reunite until years later. But it was one of those things where they get separated at birth at the hospital. One of those things that sounds like on soap operas. His brother was grown, raised by a different family, goes by the name Walter Peck, mm. and ended up becoming an EPA administrator. Uh, caused some other incident up in New York in, I think, 1984 or something like that. So, look, we expect responsibility from the media. We expect responsibility from uh, government uh, officials. And, and it's just a, an appalling case. I think the, the lesson we take from Richard Thornburg, Greg, 
is that everybody in the media should do what they can to separate fact from fiction. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. And, you know, also prioritizing what matters. Because you remember when uh, there was a massive explosion uh, at the bottom of Nakatomi Tower, uh, Richard Thornburg, his only concern, his only concern, not whether lives were lost, was to turn to his cameraman and said, did you get that? Eat your heart out, Channel 5. I mean, this guy, uh, it's good to be ambitious. You want to get the story first as long as it's right. Uh, but this guy, this guy is just beyond the pale. Yeah, I, I do believe it caught up with him because as I understand it, um, uh, the the series of bombings in the summer of New York, God, was that like 95, 96? 95, like yeah, yeah. He had no coverage of that. So I think by that point, he caught up with them and he wasn't covering stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, uh, fortunately, he had not gotten a position in New York, which is, you know, a major stepping stone to uh, to national uh, media exposure. So, uh, Jim, in any event, <laughs> hopefully folks know what we're talking about. Richard Thornburg, of course, uh, perhaps the most detestable figure in, in Die Hard, which, of course, uh, you know, is the uh, is the greatest Christmas movie that we like to promote here at the Three Martini Launch. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, go ahead and do that. But uh, most importantly, have a wonderful Christmas. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you through our special editions over the next several days. And we'll be back with our regular fare on Monday, January 3rd. So, Jim, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Greg, and Merry Christmas to all of our listeners, including probably the one or two listeners who went into that segment saying, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> Watch it, and then next year you'll be laughing with us all the way through. So, Jim Garrity of National Review, I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today and every day. We greatly appreciate that. Do subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. Thanks for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific day. Again, tomorrow, our special episodes start. You do not want to miss those. Have a wonderful Christmas, everyone. Then see you next time on the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, given all the uh, economic uncertainty right now, what's your forecast for gold and silver in the months ahead? I think people should immediately get gold and silver in their portfolio now. And if they have it, increase the percentages by 5 to 10%. The World Gold Council recommends a 10 to 20% portion of your portfolio be in gold. It's life insurance for the rest of your portfolio. And I predict gold and silver to be up 10 to 30% by 2022 due to inflation, the increasing debt, and other factors of uncertainty. And uncertainty drives gold and silver. If you think we're going to have more uncertainty over the next year, buy gold and silver. It's going up, in my opinion. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.